You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. And God's secret plan is his mysterious redemptive plan that turns all of the religious systems on head. That's his secret plan. It was revealed to them. For I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything except for Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And this was a man, Paul, who his reputation preceded him. His testimony preceded him. I mean, his testimony of turning from a, um, a persecutor of the early church to a, uh, a leader of this this band, this humble band of Christ followers, that rippled across the known world. So his reputation preceded him. And he said, I'm setting aside my reputation, my, my academic prowess, my, my intellect, all my lofty speech. I want it to be the power of God that convinces you. I want it to be the person of Jesus Christ that you encounter and not me as a person. He said, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, which is not Paul naturally. And my message and my preaching were very plain, and this is our theme verse for the next 10 months. My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. I've been asking this question over the last few months as we've been preparing for this school year. It's, it's this question, what would it look like if a group of people actually believed the power of God was alive and real today in a way that transforms our lives and transforms the lives of those around us? What if? What if a group of people actually believed it, that the message we proclaim in here is actually relevant to the world out there? And that's our lives. We all live lives, regular old lives in this world. And what if we actually believe that this message of the power of Jesus Christ meant something for the lives that we live out there. Been asking that question. So now flipping your Bibles, a few pages to the right, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, because here Paul is talking again, and he speaks in a similar vein of the discrepancy between what we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, it's possible to regard the message of the cross as foolishness. And that's what, I, that's what I describe when we, when we live as though the, cross, the message of the cross is foolishness. Really, we're putting the message of Jesus in a box, in a tight, needy little compartment of our life that has no intersection with the rest of our lives. That's really regarding the message of Jesus as foolishness. He says, for us that are being saved, though, it's the power of God. That means it actually has power to translate to our actual lives. The tensions that we face, the stresses that we face, the power of God for those situations. And so I feel like here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul is talking to his, this young leader of the church, Timothy, he gives a, a, a vivid description of what it's like to regard the message of the cross as foolishness instead of it being the power of God unto salvation for those, for, for those of us that are being saved. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in these last days, there will be very difficult times. And I'll just address that phrase these last days right out of the, right out of the shoot. We are living in the last days. 
That is not an apocalyptic prediction. We are living in the last days, and the reason I am confident of it is because 2,000 years ago, Peter stood up after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he said, this, this prophecy of Joel is fulfilled today, that in these last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, and that's what he, did, he described it as. This period of time that we're living post-Jesus, post the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is the last days. So, you don't have to sit around and listen to people try to calculate precise days in which Jesus is returning. You know, we're supposed to live in a state of expectation and alertness and readiness. We're in the last days. We've been there for 2,000 years. Tomorrow will be the last days. The next day after that, if the Lord tarries, it'll be the last days. So this is relevant to us. There's going to be difficult times. For people who love only themselves and their money, they'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, Nobody in here. And ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. And here it is, verse 5. This vivid description of what it's like to consider the message of the cross as foolishness instead of the power of God. He says, they will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And the English Standard Version says, and they have an appearance of godliness, but they, de- they deny its power. There's like a certain amount of religion or a certain amount of faith, and I talked about this last week, that if it fits in a box, if it's predictable, if it's, if it's neat and tidy and stays where I tell it to stay, then I'm cool with it. And that's, that's so common, and it's been like that for 2,000 years. That is the last days, this description of the last days. And Paul says, let's, let's not settle for that. Let's contend for more. And, and I want us to be a church that contends for more, for us to realize that there is a godliness with power, a godliness that actually translates to that long list that he talked about. And we're going we're gonna to break that list down this morning. The power of Jesus translates to all those things that we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I, I remember this, um, these memories this week. I remember going to my, my, both my grandma's house, houses growing up, and in both of their dining rooms, maybe you can uh, associate with me, in both of their dining rooms, they had beautiful china cabinets, just chock full of all these supposedly important things to them. And, and I remember the first three or four times as a young kid coming into their, their dining room and, and admiring their collection of very shiny, amazing things. And, I remember being scolded for getting too close or for getting my fingerprints on the glass. They're beautiful. Wow, they're so shiny. They're so amazing. And Grandma would tell me stories of different, uh, why they're significant. But this is what I thought, literally. And I'm sure if most of you were honest, you would think the same thing. As I got older, I was like, what is the point? Here is a cabinet full of utensils meant to be used, meant to translate to my life. They're supposed to be enjoyed they're, they're, they, they serve a function. So I took that into my married life. And after 10 years of our china that we got on our wedding day, after 10 years of it sitting in a cabinet, I told my wife, babe, we have to use this china. Let's, let's use it. It's sitting in a cabinet. It's meant to be utilized, eaten on. Like people are supposed to have this joyous uh, experience using these utensils. Let's put them to use. And we have. Now, when we entertain, we, we, we bring out the fine china. You get the very best when you come to our house. It's the fine china. The rest of the week, it's paper, but it's the fine china if you come over. 
And I would, I would venture to say that many times when we regard the message of the cross as, foolish, the message of the cross as foolishness, I would consider it like a China cabinet Christianity. We, we, we put it over here, we consider it sacred, we have a respect for it, even a certain amount of admiration for its beauty, but it doesn't translate to our daily lives. And I would say, let's, let's, let's move on to something more. I would contend that there is something more. There is a godliness with power. So our main idea for this morning is every true expression of the gospel has a power that translates to our lives. Every true expression of the gospel is a power that translates to our lives. The pinnacle of the, the good news of Jesus Christ is seen in, in his life and the message that he declared through his kingdom, him giving his life on the cross, his resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All that is what we call the gospel, the good news. And so nothing in that story of Jesus immersing himself in the messiness and brokenness of life it can be... Uh, construed or described as a, a China cabinet Christianity. He is perfect, beautiful, majestic God sitting on his throne. And instead of keeping his distance from us and saying they can just have their way in their rebellion, instead he decided to immerse himself. He came out of the China cabinet. <laughs> he said, I'm going to immerse myself in humanity, in the, in the midst of the messiness, in the, in the midst of the brokenness. And that becomes actually a rallying call for all of us in our faith. To say, ah, oh, yes, my faith is supposed to translate to real, the real stuff of life. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. This is on the screen in verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he, he faced all the same things we do, the same junk that you face. Jesus faced it, yet he did not sin. He was perfect. The China was perfect perfectly preserved. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Many people fool them, themselves into thinking that if they keep their life sparsed out into these compartments, maybe God won't see all of their life, but he sees it all. He immersed himself in it. He's fully aware of it. That actually gives us boldness. That actually gives us this courage to, brace, to, uh, to, to run to the, the throne of grace to throw ourselves before the throne of grace and know there's mercy there. He conquered it. He took care of it. So every true expression of the gospel is a power that translates to our lives. I never want to leave anybody behind. That word gospel, anytime I say that, if, you, if you're struggling to translate that to your life, you can just insert good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came and said he's the way, the truth, and the life, the, the fact that he said he is the door, no one comes to the Father except through him. There's one way to the Father, and it's through him. That's good news. When he described himself as, as our a living bread, as he described himself as our living water, the thing that quenches the longings of our soul, that's good news. And every expression of that actually has a power that translates to our lives. If it's just mental ascent, I push you beyond that to something more. If it's just creedal doctrine, I push you beyond that to something more. There is a power that translates to our lives. And I want to quickly go through then 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I don't know where you are. But I'm going to go through that list. Because these are, this description of the last days, these difficult times in which we live, it's not foreign to us. It's the world we live in. 
And if we're honest, many of us here this morning, we experience the very things that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to demonstrate to you that the, the message of the cross has a power for each and every one of these descriptions of these last days. He says, people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be selfish. They'll be self-serving. So every time in your life that you sense this this self-obsession, you want to serve yourself, you want to build up a kingdom to yourself, I want to tell you to press into the cross. Press into the message of the power of the cross. And when you come before the cross, you can see perfect Jesus hanging on the cross. He is king of the universe. He doesn't need anybody. He's in, uh, he's, he's in need of no one, and yet he selflessly laid himself down for everyone. It's in his selflessness that you can encounter the grace of God. So as you come to him in your selfishness, you admit it, and you come before the selfless, this, uh, selfless display of God, you, the selfless display of God, you experience a grace. That's the power of the message of the cross. He says, next, you'll be boastful and you'll, you'll be proud and scoffing at God. You'll be disobedient to your parents and ungrateful. And if we're honest, most of us have experienced bouts of that in our lives. This pride, this puffing of our chest. This, some days you wake up and you just feel like you got it, right? You're like, I got this. Today is my day. You feel like you kind of reached your sweet spot. You're starting to feel really good. And you begin to scoff scoff God and distance yourself from God. Anytime you sense that disconnect in your life, I want to encourage you to press into the cross. And you come before King Jesus hung on a cross who was scoffed and mocked, and he put up with it all. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a robe over his wounds. They mocked him, even though he knew rightfully his place was on the throne. He was scoffed for your, on your behalf. And then, and then really the, it all um, gets revealed. As this comes to an end, his crucifixion comes to an end, what happens? The earth shakes, the veil is torn, and this Roman soldier sitting there in all of his Roman authority, in all of his earthly power, what does he declare? He says, surely you are the son of God. He could not deny the power of God And so all of our worldly pride comes crumbling before the message of the cross. When you bring yourself before that powerful message of the cross, they will consider nothing sacred. You can consider that moment when the veil was torn, the holiness of God was split the divide. It says they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no no self-control. Any time that you experience sense of re- a sense of resentment in your heart, bitterness, unforgiveness, you are not loving towards someone like you should be. <laughs> I, know, I know that's where we all live. You can bring yourself before the cross and see this one who is perfect love. He is the, the embodiment of perfect love. Think of the control that he had to not swing back, to not hurl insults in return, but instead he exuded perfect self-control. The message of the cross has this power that translates to your life. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and they'll love pleasure rather than God. When you feel completely betrayed like you're all alone, maybe you're single and you feel lonely. Maybe you just experienced divorce. 
Maybe your friends all left you. Maybe you're a student and you feel all alone on campus for the first time, whatever it is. You can bring yourself before the cross and see this one who paid for your loneliness. He paid for your betrayals by being betrayed. He had this band of brothers. They said, we're with you till the end. We're with you till your death, Jesus. And what happened? They completely betrayed him. He experienced the betrayal that you experience. And yet he remained perfect and sinless. And now he is a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can cry out to Jesus as your savior and as your friend. You can experience a power, even in the midst of your loneliness, your betrayal. And then that's when he comes to verse five. And they will act religious but they will reject the power that can make them godly. I believe that's like the underscore under all that. It's like here's all these outworkings of an empty life, but they don't realize that there is actually a solution. There is actually something that can bear fruit that translates to all those areas of brokenness in our world, and it's the power of the message of Jesus. So anytime you recognize a disconnect in your life, press into the cross, and if that doesn't work, Press on to the resurrection because his physical resurrection should convince us of the power of God that's alive today. I know some people that hang out with me, they think, Drew, when are you going to move on from this message about the love of God, the love of the power of Jesus, the message of the cross, the resurrection? And honestly, we're never going to move on from it. We're never going to tire ourselves. This message is inexhaustible. The mantra around here is live the message. That's our, that's our theme for the next 10 months because I really want us to gain some traction in this as a church. I want us to, to, to gain this momentum of actually the power of God meaning something to our life Monday through Sunday. I wanna, and so I don't want us to move on from the message of the cross. It never gets old. It's fresh and it's new every day. There can be a fresh display of the love of God for your life every single day when you wake up. And far too often I see believers think that the message of the cross, the message of God's radical love of God, uh, love towards us, they believe that that's just the entry into Christianity. And then we're going to move on to everything else. Then we're going to start to predict the end times and get off into all these weird things. That's all distractions. The more and more we can renew ourselves as a child of God in the, the radical power, overwhelming love of Jesus, the more and more we'll actually move into maturity, to true maturity. Maturity is not the breadth of, of uh, issues. It's, it's really the depth of it, penetrating deeper and deeper into our person and into our hearts and into our souls. The love of God has new relevance every single day, fresh relevance to your life to how you raise your kids, to how you walk out in your married life, how you walk out your career life. The love of God can be relevant to those things. I liken it to the diet of a, of, a, of a young child, of a baby. I think it's amazing. We have had four children. Me and my wife were super blessed. We've had four kids. And I've always just been amazed at the biology of it all. The fact that this tiny little infant can be sustained with this ma magical juice called breast milk. It's amazing, this just, this nutrient-rich jam, it's just jam-packed with all the vitamins and, and nutrients that this little infant needs for six months. It's amazing, that's all they have. Then after six months, what happens? They start to move on to, to finger foods, 
into an, like an adult diet. They start to just play with foods, and after a year, they re- their palate starts to just explode, and they start to explore the world of food. But if you think about it, in terms of the nutrients and the vitamins, the minerals that we need, none of it changes from the time that we come into this world. It's, it's the form that changes. We still need the same nutrients, the same vitamins, the same minerals. It's the amounts and the form in which it comes that, that differ throughout our life on this earth. And far, and far too often, believers think, yes, I have experienced the message of the cross. They have an encounter with God. They say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. But now I'm going to move on to all this goofy side stuff <laughs> that has no bearing on my life. And that's when we have this just... Um, this plethora of hypocrisy and talk without power. No accountability and, and two-facedness. Re- religion that rejects the power of God. A lot of talk and nothing to show for it. But what if we pushed on to something more and we, and we, and we really believed that the substance of the, this grand display of God's redemptive power is our sustenance for every single day? It's our daily bread. Bring yourself before the cross. Realize that that's for you. Realize that he rose from the dead to convince you. That he, he is, he is uh, stronger than death itself. That he conquered death. And then he sends his Holy Spirit into your life. He says, it's better that I leave. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into your life to be a comforter and counselor. That's good news. And that never gets old every single day. So every true expression of the gospel is a power that translates to our lives. I believe this is the foundation that Paul was trying to lay in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and chapters 2. When he said, I don't, I don't want to fill your heads with just wisdom and speculation, wisdom and, and great grand speeches, but instead I want to lay this foundation of the power of God, actual encounter with Jesus Christ himself. That's what's going to sustain you. So I want to end with this example, this vivid example from the New Testament. Throughout Jesus' ministry, his three years of ministry, he had this growing conflict with the religious leaders, obviously, right? That's what uh, led to his his crucifixion. It was this growing, brewing conflict with the the Pharisees specifically, but also the Sadducees and the the scribes and the zealots, these group of, of religious leaders that just had a hard time humbling their hearts to recognize Jesus himself. Well, Jesus called them out. And time and time again, what he calls out is form without substance. He calls out this religious game playing. He says, you guys almost have it. It's like you're close, but you're, you're missing the power. You're missing the life, the, the life-giving aspect of it. So first is prayer with power. Jesus calls out their, their empty prayer life. And the reason I want to use these examples is because I think these are all tangible examples of how oftentimes we flesh out our faith. But if anyone in this place has experienced any of these aspects that I'm going to lay out before you this morning, any aspects of them, and you're like, these have never, never brought me life. These have never actually been power to me. Then I want to encourage you to push beyond where you've been and go deeper in the Lord, that, th- that it's available, and Jesus lays it out for us. So first is prayer with power. Jesus calls out the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get. 
But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will, will reward you. He calls it out. This religious showmanship has no power. So maybe for you, prayer has been a religious tradition. Maybe it's been you know, something in your heritage. Maybe it's, maybe it's been just like a, a cry in, in desperate times of crisis, like on your way to an exam or right before uh, some big meeting that you're walking into. You throw up a prayer to God. If he's out there, maybe he'll help me in this moment. But it doesn't necessarily translate to your life. Jesus reveals here to what prayer with power looks like. I just challenge you. Get in your room all by yourself. Get on your knees before God. Shut the door, lock the door. And say, God, I need you. I seek you. Come and move in my life. I need your power. These are the things I'm facing. It's in that place of complete secrecy, complete isolation, that you don't have to worry about the words that you say. If you pray an incomplete sentence, no one's going to call you out on it. If you use a word that you heard somebody else pray, it doesn't gain you any points. You can just use the words that come to your heart and your mind in that moment and display your heart before God. And what happens when, that, when you actually experience that is God shows up. He's just so attracted to that. Hebrews chapter 12 says that this is the, the, the only elements that are required to experience something in God. You must believe that he exists. All right, check. And secondly, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you come into the secret place, you cry out to God, and you say, God, move in my life. My marriage is on the rocks. I need you to move. My kids are on the brink of something. God, I need you to move. Whatever it is you're facing, get yourself alone with God. You'll experience a prayer, a power in prayer that you haven't experienced before. And that's just the start of it. Second is scripture with power. Jesus calls out the Pharisees here, and he says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It is extremely possible to spend your entire life studying a book and yet miss the person that the book is meant to reveal. We don't worship a book. We worship a person that this book reveals. This becomes a revelation. It is our authority as believers. It's our authority as, as, as a church. But it's a revelation of a person. And Jesus calls out the Pharisees. I mean, these, these people, they would devote their entire lives to studying the scriptures. Most to, to just complete uh, memory. They'd memorize it. And yet he, say, he says, you miss, you're missing it. You're experiencing the words, but not the life. Not the person that the actual words reveal. So I would encourage you, if you are here this morning and you're like, Drew, Scripture often is not power in my life. I'd encourage you to press beyond. That it's available. There is a revelation of a person that is available to you. And I often encourage people, that if they're struggling in the word, experiencing any sort of life-giving nourishment for their soul, shoot for quality over quantity. God is so attracted. Yes. <laughs> See? He is attracted 
<laughs> he is attracted to that sort of humble admission. You get alone with God, you open up the word and you say, God, no pretenses, no showmanship. I'm not trying to impress anybody by checking a box. I want you to show up in this moment. There could be one verse that is exactly what you need to hear for that day that's nourishment for your soul. That's scripture with power. I often encourage people, it's great if some people read, actually as a church we have been reading the, the, the Bible through in a year, and that's great if some people do that, but, the, but you're living more than one year. You've got an entire lifetime to experience the breadth of this word. Quality over quantity. There is scripture with power. Don't be like the Pharisees and experience form without substance. Third is sacrifice with power. Sacrifice with power. Many of these religious leaders that Jesus was calling out, they would have these very extravagant, grand demonstrations of their sacrifice. Many of them dedicated their entire lives to their religious uh, endeavors and pursuits. But Jesus calls them out on it. It is possible to have an outward show of sacrifice without there being the power of it. And Jesus tells this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it before. Yeah, you can come. You're great. <laughs> parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story about this, this Jewish man who's beaten up and left on the roadside for dead. First one who passes by is a Levitical priest. He's headed to the temple. He's got places to be. He is so devoted in his pursuit of God that he neglects the more pressing matter of true sacrifice to his brother in need. Next is a cleric in the, in the temple, in the synagogue. He passes on by too. He's got too many things to do. He's sacrificed his life for service in the synagogue, so much so that he neglects the needs right in front of him. But then here is this wretched Samaritan who was despised. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. Yet the Samaritan had the wherewithal to recognize what true sacrifice was. They may be devoting their lives to, to worship to God over there, but I'm going to devote my life to worship right in front of me, this knee that's right in front of me. There is a sacrifice with power. And not, not to embarrass Kyle, but I, I did get an email this weekend, Saturday night, from a an anonymous email um, from someone to our church email address that Thursday night, there was somebody just stranded out here right outside the church on 13th Street. And this, just, this reminded me of this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because Kyle and somebody else, I'm not sure who that was, um, they saw them there. And this was in the midst of an extremely busy week for Kyle. They're welcoming back thousands of students back to the campus. They that events pretty much every single night. And he's got like 15 kids at home and a wife. He's got five kids at home and a wife. He's, he's a busy guy. Their kids are starting school. He's, he had a long list of things, of, of reasons why he shouldn't stop and help this lady. But yet, she was blown away by, by their perseverance to help her because the wheel was really stuck on it. They pushed through and they helped this lady, changed the tire on, on her car. That's, that's sacrifice with power. That's demonstrating the real love of God in a tangible way, in a way that translates beyond religious busyness. And lastly is generosity with power. It's possible to go through the motions of giving. This is out of the series that we, that we um, got through this summer on money and giving. It is possible to experience the motions of giving without the substance of it. And Jesus says, Luke, in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, what, awa what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, if you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your, herbs and from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice 
and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Like I said this summer, tithing is the training wheels for giving. That's just what loosens the chains of giving and uh, lordship of the Lord over our finances. Beyond that, there's so much more important things beyond just the starting place of tithing. There's a whole world of generosity to experience justice in this world and to display the love of God to those around us. There is godliness with power. Amen? There's godliness with power available for you. So every true expression of the gospel has a power that translates to your daily life. So if there's something in your life that's sucking life out of you, that you're not experiencing power, either it's not an expression of the gospel or you're misconstruing it. You're not applying it correctly. So push in to Jesus. Get before him. Pursue him. You can believe that if you, if you earnestly seek him, he'll meet you there. He'll reward you. You can take it to the bank. Anything else is foolishness. Anything else is just playing games. And I've made it very clear. I'm not about playing games. I want us to go for it. I want us to experience something. Got one short life to live. Let's go for it. And this thought came into my mind. I am in not the least bit, I am not mechanical at all. Most people know that around here. I'm, I'm just not handy at all. What I do is I end up, end up giving Pastor Kyle all of my um, things that break down after a while. I'm just like, you can have it and make it purr again. But, but recently I did have a push mower that I gave to pa Pastor Kyle. And uh, this push mower I bought six years ago and it, I bought a brand new, that's what I do. I buy, I buy my mechanical goods brand new because then I know it'll last me a few years. But then I don't maintain them well. And what ended up happen happening after six years is the, the carburetor ended up getting all gunked up and it just would not run well. What happens when we settle for a godliness without power, it's like me pushing my mower that doesn't work around my lawn, doing absolutely nothing, but I'm going through the motions of godliness. It's like, I feel like it should be accomplishing something, but it's not. I'm, I'm making myself feel good. My, my, my neighbors aren't happy because my lawn is not cut. That's godliness without power. It's available to us. Hand it over to your friend, Jesus Christ. He can fix it. This is how I want to stand. If everyone would stand in this place. Everyone was given this morning one of these cards. These cards have our verse on it for the year. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But on the back of it this morning, there is this confession or declaration that I want us to pray together. I want this to be our response. I'm a firm believer that anytime the truth of God's word is spoken, there should be a response. If we're gonna steward what God's given to us, there should be a response. It feels really weird to me if we receive the word of God and then we just go on to eat and not even consider how it applies to our life. This is a response. I believe in a response. So this is not something we normally do. This morning, I, I want us to together in one voice read this response to the Lord. I want this to mean something. You can take this home, obviously, and, and confess this again, but I think there's, there's power. Our faith can increase as there's a, an outward confession, as we hear our brothers and sisters confess this to the Lord. It's a simple confession of a desire for godliness with power. So let's read this together. Lord, today I acknowledge you 
as the king of the universe that displayed your love for me through the cross. I recognize that moment as the moment that took on the mess and brokenness of my life. It's that moment that convinces me that you boldly want to transform every aspect of my life. I desire to experience the life you intended for me to live. I run away from any form of godliness without power. And instead, I fully embrace the life of godliness with power. I choose to experience life with you, which results in transformation in me and the world around me. I'm going to have Pastor Kyle come forward. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.